Hey yo, what up, what up? This is Jay. Thank you for tuning in to the Jay and Haynes podcast. Today, this is part two of our conversation about Michael Cohen and the congressional hearing. If you'd like to get caught up, I'd suggest listening to episode one, part one. Uh, thanks for listening. What do you want to start him off with, Haynes? Ocasio-Cortez. Mm. She, now, let me just let you know that Personally, eh, I'm I'm meh on Ocasio. You know, I don't hate her, but I don't necessarily like. I'm not like in love with the woman. She I, right. she okay, she cool. Mm-hmm. I think she got a little too much gusto for my taste, but whatever. Sometimes you need those people to get things done because you know what? In all honesty, this girl's getting things done. <laughs> her okay. line of like, well, I because got you. it uh her line like and she did this previously, but her line of questioning. Is so succinct and gets exactly to the point. And I think this portion went over a lot of people's heads because I think this is what gave the segue for huge future actions to go. Basically, she wants to go out. I mean, she wants to go out to Trump's records and taxes. Yeah. Just listen to her question. Uh, the last last thing here, uh, the Trump Golf Organization currently has a golf course in my home borough of the Bronx, uh, Trump Links. I drive past it every day, going between Bronx and going between the Bronx and Queens. Um, in fact, the Washington Post reported on the Trump Links Bronx course in an article entitled "Taxpayers Built This New York Golf Course and Trump Reaps the Rewards." Where many that that article is where many New Yorkers and people in the country learn that taxpayers spent $127 million to build Trump links in a quote generous deal allowing President Trump to keep almost every dollar that flows in on a golf course built with public funds. And this doesn't seem to be the only time the president has benefited at the expense of the public. Mr. Cohen, I want to ask you about your assertion that the president may have improperly devalued his assets to avoid paying taxes. According to an August 24th, August 21st, 2016 report by The Washington Post, while the president claimed in financial disclosure forms that Trump National Golf Club in Jupiter, Florida, was worth more than 50 million, he had reported otherwise to local tax authorities that the course was worth, quote, no more than five million. Mr. Cohen, do you know whether this specific report is accurate? It's identical to what he did at Trump National Golf Club at Briarcliff Manor. Yeah, that he's cooking his books, as they say. Cooking his books. Yes. And how did he do that? What you do is you deflate the value of the asset, and then you put in a request to the tax department uh, for a deduction. Thank you. Now, in October 2018, the New York Times revealed that, quote, President Trump participated in dubious tax schemes during the 1990s, including instances of outright fraud that greatly increased the fortune he received from his parents. And it further stated from Mr. Trump, quote, he also helped formulate a strategy to undervalue his parents' real estate holdings by hundreds of millions of dollars on tax returns, sharply reducing his tax bill when those properties were transferred to him and his siblings. Mr. Cohen, do you know whether that specific report is accurate? I I don't. I wasn't there in 1990s. Who would know the answer to those questions? Alan Weisselberg. Names to go after. 
to obtain federal and state tax returns from the president and his company to address that discrepancy? I believe so. Thank you very Thank much. You I so. yield the rest of my time to the chair. Right there. You, you heard that? Yep. It's like, these are the people you need to t- contact. They know. They know. And would it, do we need to go after them? Yes, you do. Bow. That was it. Just nice and quick. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. I yield my time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get more, much more specific to that than that. <laughs> and that, I applaud her for that, man. And I think that's where her and her um, team are going to go next. I think she's on that committee. Yeah, she is. And, and she's going to be pushing for that. You look for that soon. Yeah. That. You you know, she, she had an agenda. She did it, man, and watch. So, I mean, for a young congresswoman like that, I mean, yo, props to her, you know, out there. Like, it's it's not easy. I can, yeah, I can imagine it's not easy. Yeah, she really, uh, she put it out. Like, she, she's like, she had a pretty concise set of questions that she wanted to have answered. And in fact, uh, in watching the testimony that day, the black women, uh, the congressmen, congresswomen uh, of color, all brought very concise questions and statements. Mm-hmm. Like they asked him yes or no questions, hit him with uh, hit hit him with details, talked about how they felt about it, and got it all done in under five minutes. Yep. Uh, and I really I like that. I, I really appreciate that. It's nice to hear people being concise up there. I mean, and you know what, though? They used Michael Cohen for what he was originally intended to be used for, a springboard to take action on other things. Again, Michael Cohen was there to provide validity to what we've heard for so long. And that's what he did, and that's what they used him for. And that's like, ugh. So that's that's what gives me hope something's going to come out of this. If they were the ones that, if their feelings were the bulk of Congress and Senate, I'd have a good warm and fuzzy right now. Um, but I don't. I don't. I don't have a warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I, uh, but I am glad to hear all of this just being spoken about in on live TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that was definitely a moment. Yeah, we definitely covered a lot in what we were talking about here. Yeah. Can I can I suggest we tell people why it's important to them? Why why is all this important? So definitely. What does that mean for us as the common man, black and brown people, minorities? I feel like this moment uh is going to show the country who the government really is. And I'm talking about Trump all the crimes that are going on around it and how the Congress and Senate are going to take action against or with them. This is the harbinger of that. This is what's telling you, like, this is what, this is what is showing you how they would act. You're like, what if America were a really corrupt country? Well, this is that scenario playing out right now. And And I feel like it's important to the everyday person because do you or don't you want someone running the country or a group of people running the country that are like corrupt by any measure of the law, by the measure of the law, I should say. That's how I feel it's important. 
Um, what does this mean for us? To be honest, again, my hopes aren't high. Uh, but I do firmly believe every step forward is a step forward. And, you know, my hope, I, you know, I, I do follow the same along principles as I had a, I had a, a strange premonition the other day, and I'm not going to say it's, a, you know, it's going to come to fruition, but it was like, man, this would be nice. You know, because we know that, like, again, the Republicans are mafioso. They're one mob. I believe they all, personally, I believe they all know what's going on. And I believe they're all co-signing. And the reason why they're sticking together so hard is because if one falls, they all fall. So they're kind of like, nah, we ride or die. If you get down, lay down, state property status. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think that's why they all turned on Cohen so hard. Because he left the mob. Um... But, you know, if they do go down this rabbit hole and they do start uncovering, okay, who's connected to who, I think the Mueller report will dis- will uncover the fact that there was collusion with Russia. I think that they will uncover even more so that not only Trump knew, but Pence uh, and the other members of Congress who are defending Trump so closely also knew and, you know, agreed upon it and... I once you start going down that rabbit hole, it's like, okay, if we're going to impeach Trump, well, then we got to get Pence. We got to get ABC. And then who's going to be left on the Republican side? And what will that leave? Where will that leave our our government? Once we start uncovering. See, the thing about politics is that everybody know everybody's dirty, but they've just been dirty, like, and then hiding their hands in their pocket. But now everybody's been called to show their hands. What's going to happen to our government? It's my question. Like, if you're going to prosecute the president, well, you got to prosecute the president, the person who, you know, we was rolling with. Real. Uh, that's they, why I don't. That's why I really don't have a, a good feel about them actually doing that. Yeah. Who? Like, I'm sure that report has caught multiple links to multiple people, and it'll find out that every because they weren't slick in covering their tracks. Not at all. Not at all. At least, you know, Governor Christie burned all his computers. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, they're brash, man. They didn't think anybody would get this far. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I ain't going to say it, man, but I feel like that's um, the egotism of power in itself. Yeah. If there's one thing I see when I look at that this current administration is egotism and power gone wrong. Yeah. And, I, you know, I truly hope, like, my biggest hope is that Trump goes to jail. If Trump goes to jail, that would restore my faith in democracy. If he doesn't, I mean, I'm moving to Canada. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that, but... And this is where this is where we diverge. I don't have very much faith in democracy. I think we're going to see a, tr- a Trump twenty twenty. Oof. Yeah, yeah. I want that to sink 20. in too. Mm-hmm. I just marched you. <laughs> nah, man. You I hit can't. me with the marge. <laughs> I'm, uh, I mean, and the, the sad part is, I can't. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm just trying but to. But I, I can't, I can't, 
I can't acknowledge that. <laughs> I can't acknowledge that. I can't, man. Like, yo, come on. I what? Another four years? You're crazy. That's why. <laughs> yo, it, crazy. Makes, it, it, it makes me wonder, like, yo, when you talk about the fifties and sixties, it's like, yo, people stood up and fought. There was actual, like, I mean, and not to say those fights ain't, but you know who. Part of me, you know, may may wonder. Where, I mean, I wasn't born in the fifties and sixties, so is what we see in the textbooks and movies is it glorified? Were there that many people supportive of the, these movements, or was it really just a select few, like it is today? Um, that select few is a lot larger than it seems. Mm-hmm. Because even if you got like. Let's say during the civil rights marches, you had 10% of black Americans that were actually marching and doing something. 10%. That's mm-hmm. still that's still like a million and a half people or millions of people marching. And today, if you have only 10% of the really like the people who really don't like Trump are marching, that's like 10% of half the country. So, like, that's still a lot, a lot of people. There are a lot of people that don't like this dude. And there are a lot of people that are doing daily marches or saying something daily, like, being out there making the noise. But they don't get coverage like it's a it's a crisis right now. Because people are marching for all sorts of things. And none of that is getting coverage. Yeah. Democracy Now! has a march every every uh, show. Like some, somebody's marching for something <laughs> or protesting something or boycotting something. But we don't, True. I don't hear about that in, on my news feeds. It's because we don't want to pay attention. Like we, I feel like America is like politics out. They are social programmed out. Like they just don't want to hear it no more. But it's still going on. I mean, and you know what, man? I, I don't blame the American people at all because it's exhausting. It's it tiring. Really is. Yeah. Paying yeah. attention to all this shit. Like, just in what we've covered today, this this testimony was like five hours long. Yeah. That's, how much, that's how much stuff they have to talk about. A lot to unpack. Even in this podcast, we, you know, our podcast is normally 45 to an hour. Yeah. And uh, we went well over time. Um, yeah. But that's how much was there to unpack. There's more. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't touch on, but it's just as relevant. Just as relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So, look, listen, y'all. Appreciate you listening to the podcast. Jane Haynes. Thank you so much for keeping up with us. Yeah, absolutely. This may get split into a part two, part one series. Uh, but definitely appreciate you listening to us. Please tune in again. Yeah, I want to leave you guys with uh, Elijah Cummings talking. His closing remarks, I thought they were good. You know, I've sat here and I've listened to all of this. And it's very painful. It's very painful. Um... You um, made a lot of mistakes, Mr. Garn. 
And you've admitted that. And, um, you know, one of the saddest parts of this whole thing is that some very innocent people are hurting too. And you acknowledge that. And um, that's your, your family. And so you come here today and you, I, 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 deep in my heart after, I, you know, and when I practice law, I represent a lot of lawyers who got in trouble. And you've come saying I have made my mistakes, but now I want to change my life. Um, and you know, if we, if, if we, um, as a nation did not give people an opportunity after they made mistakes to change their lives, um, a whole lot of people would not do, do very well. I don't know where you go from here. Uh, as I sat here and I listened to both sides, um, I just felt as if, and, and you know, people are use, now using my words that they took from me, that didn't give me any credit. We are better than this. <laughs> we are so much, we really are. As a country, we are so much better than this. And... You know, I told you, I, I, and, 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 and for some reason, Mr. Cohen, I, I, I tell my, 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 my children, I say when bad things happen to you, do not ask the question, why did it happen to me? Ask the question, why did it happen for me? I don't know why this is happening for you, but it is my hope that a small part of it is for our country to be better. If I hear you correctly, it sounds like you're crying out for a new normal, for us getting back to normal. It sounds to me like you want to make sure that our democracy stays intact. When I, the one meeting I had with President Trump, I said to him, the greatest gift that you and I, Mr. President, can give to our children is making sure that we give them a democracy that is intact. A not democracy better than the one that we came upon. And I'm hoping that the things you said today will help us begin to get back there. You know, I mean, come on now. I mean, when you got, according to the Washington Post, our president has made at least 8,718 8, false and mis or misleading statements. That's stunning. That's not what we teach our children. I don't teach mine that. And for whatever reason, you sound like you got caught up in it. You got caught up in it. You got caught up in it. And some kind of way, 
I hope that you will, I, I know that it's painful going to prison. I know, I know it's gotta be painful being called a rat. And let me, let me explain. A lot of people don't know the significance of that, but I live in the inner city of Baltimore. All right. And when you call somebody a rat, that's one of the worst things you can call them because when they go to prison, that means a snitch. I'm just saying. And so the president called you a rat. We're better than that. We really are. And I'm hoping that all of us can get back to this democracy that we want and that we should be passing on our, to our children so that they can do better than what we did. And so you wonder whether people believe you. I don't know. I don't know whether they believe you. But the fact is that you've come, you have your head down, and this has got to be one of the hardest things that you could do. Let me tell you the picture that really, really pained me. You were leaving the prison. You were leaving the courthouse. And I guess it's your daughter had braces or something on. Man, that thing, man, that thing hurt me. As a father of two daughters, it hurt me. And I can imagine how it must feel for you. But I'm just saying to you, I want to first of all thank you. I know that this has been hard. I know that you face a lot. I know that you are worried about your family. But this is a part of your destiny. And hopefully, this portion of your destiny will lead to a better, a better, a better Michael Cohen, a better Donald Trump, a better United States of America, and a better world. And I mean that from the depths of my heart. When we're dancing with the angels, the question will be asked, in 2019, what did we do to make sure we kept our democracy intact? Did we stand on the sidelines and say nothing? Did we play games? And I'm tired of these statements saying, they come, people come in here and say, oh, oh, this is the first hearing. It is not the first hearing. The first hearing was with regard to prescription drugs. Remember, a little girl, a, a lady said there, Miss Wortham, her daughter died because she could not get $333 a month in insulin. That was our first hearing. Second hearing, HR1, voting rights, corruption in government. Come on now. We can do more than one thing. And we have got to get back to normal. With that, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you for listening to the Jay and Haynes podcast.